it's shiny, it's awesome, it's cool, it's a piece it's of hardware that I can give my baby boy. Because I didn't eat anything. You know, absolutely. Hold on, I'm talking, brother. 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 Hello, and welcome back to Hold On, I'm Talking, brother. My name is Joe Greenwood, and you are listening to our UFC 272 preview. Covington versus Masvidal. Not in Miami, because Miami is a very difficult place to sell tickets, and they are not doing it there. Uh, And listeners, I have to inform you that today, I'm riding solo. Tom has dropped out. He has COVID. uh, Very convenient uh, that he's done that, knowing that I would have uh, won the predictions game uh, this time around. He knows it. He knows it, so he ducked it. Like, let's be honest. He's Aljamain Sterling this. You know, oh, oh no, I've got COVID, oh, I can't talk. You can certainly text, can't you? Yeah, that's what I thought, Tom. Anyway, listeners, UFC 272, we're going to go straight into this. Um, Let me set it up. How it normally works is this, is that myself and Tom, uh, my co-host, who is not here because he has COVID, um, would make predictions. Uh, We would talk about each fight. We would pick a fighter who we think is going to win, and if you get that correct, you get one point, and if you get the method of victory correct as well, you get two points. Very simple process. Now, uh, since it's just me by myself, I'm going to uh, I'm going to keep this short and sweet, you know, like a... Like a Harry bow, I don't know. Anyway, let's go straight into this. Uh, I'm going to start at the bottom of the main card. Greg Hardy, somehow uh, still on pay-per-view main cards, is facing Sergey the Spiv, Spivak. Uh, Spivak, for me, most well-known as the guy who beat up Tui Vasa in Australia in rather humiliating and, and exposing uh, circumstances. Um... He himself um, has not had... The, no, his last fight didn't go very well. Tom Aspinall uh, uh, beat him uh, TKO victory, but he has beat Alexei Olenek. And that's about it, really, in terms of significant wins. Lost to Tybura. I feel like losing to Tybura sort of like sets your, your ceiling of like, well, you know, you could maybe get into the top 10, but I think that would probably be a push. And then Greg Hardy, um, who is 7-4 in the UFC, he's lost his last two in a row, and he's lost to Marcin Tybura. Um, rather hilariously lost that, that fight, and then even funnier, lost, losing the fight to Ivasa uh, in just over a minute of the first round. Um, I say it's hilarious, some people think that's not nice to um, laugh at a man getting knocked out. When it's Greg Hardy, he kind of deserves it. Um, yeah, Hardy is a big lump. He's obviously somewhat of a very talented athlete. I mean, he was in the NFL. You have to be a freak of an athlete to make it in the NFL. But as a fighter, to me, just doesn't have the uh, skills required to be a top UFC heavyweight, which, to be honest, you don't need much. Um, Please see the aforementioned Tui Vasa. And for me, I think Spivak is a more well-rounded fighter. And if needed, can just wrestle this one out and maybe even finish Hardy. Um, I have gone for a Sergei Spivak win and I've gone for a uh, 
TKO knockout win. You know, a ground and pound win. You can see it, can't you? Greg Hardy, he's tired. It's the second round. Spivak, he's tired, but not as tired. And he's able to get these takedowns, just wear on Hardy and finish with a delicious TKO KO over Greg Hardy. Um, yeah, not a very interesting fight. Don't particularly want to talk about it anymore. Now, this next fight is the fight that I think should be opening the main card. Uh, Kevin Holland moving down to welterweight to face Cowboy Oliveira, a man who is actually kind of the biggest criminal in the UFC and is still fighting on the cards. He has a, uh, I think he has a, an abduction case against him currently. Also has, I think, conservatively 13 children. Um, he is facing uh, Kevin Holland. Holland, who is on a bit of a bad run. He was at middleweight. He was a very uh, small middleweight, let's say. This may be a bit unfair, but, you know, didn't have to cut a huge amount of weight to get there. Last two fights, he went on a five-fight winning streak in 2020, uh, culminating in a tremendous knockout of Jacare Souza. What a strange, bizarre knockout that is very much worth your time. And then goes into 2021 and proceeds to get grapple-fucked by, first off, Derek Brunson and then Marvin Vittori, two guys towards the top of the middleweight division. You could see Holland's limit there. Fair enough. Moves back down to welterweight, which was originally supposed to be his division, and he did fight there a couple times initially in the UFC. Um, but he's moving back down there, I think, now properly. Um, where he will clearly have a weight advantage in that division. Uh, and that's something that I think he's going to lean on in this. You know, he's a very sort of long rangey striker, likes to pick his shots. You know, he has kind of likes to snipe at distance and sort of pile on the pressure once he's sort of caught you. Oliveira is much more of a showman striker, shall we say, of like, let's just walk forward and bang, bro. Let me bang, bro. And he did bang, and he banged hard with Yancy Medeiros, by the way, a great fight, very much worth your time I think they both knocked each other down three times in that fight, before Medeiros got the finish I'm expecting action hard action and I'm going with a Kevin Holland Holland? Kevin Holland knockout of Cowboy Oliveira no offence Cowboy but you're a bit shopworn now brother, you know, we're looking at a bloke who is, how old is he, he's 30 he's only 34 Oh, Jesus. That's a hard 34, bro. Oh, my God. Look at this record as well. Uh, lost to Gunnar Nelson. Lost to Mike Perry. Lost to Nicholas Dalby. Beat Max Griffin. Beat Peter Sabota. Then lost to Savkat Rachmanov, Randy Brown, and then Nico Price. Oof. Oh, God almighty. Can you hear that, listeners? That's right. That's the call of returning to jungle fights back in Brazil. That's not... A racist joke, by the way. That is literally the name of a promotion in Brazil uh, where a lot of these Brazilian fighters come from. Um, yeah, Kevin Holland by knockout. Stick your money on it. Right. Uh, how long have I been talking for? Not long. Seven minutes. Bloody Nora. It's way too long. Um, Edson Barbosa versus Bryce Mitchell. Bryce Mitchell recently had a bit of a controversy, shall we say, uh, going on the Ariel Hawani show and then wanting to talk about politics and saying how the government wants to take away the AR-15. Okay. And he said, but they can't do that because it's God's country. All right, then. Well, then why are they trying to do it? 
Doesn't make any sense. I think Bryce is uh, not an intelligent man. And I'll leave it at that. But he is undefeated. He is undefeated. Hasn't fought in over a year. His last fight uh, was a win over Andre Touchy-Feely. Hold on, I'm just going to take a sip of my tea. Oof. Um, which was after he had beat Charles Rosa, which was on the um, prelims of the Ferguson Gaethje card. I remember that Charles Rosa fight because he was all over Rosa with his grappling. It was like drowning him. He was absolutely just all over. Rosa couldn't get any sort of space off of him. And then when he faced Feely, he beat Feely, had some success on the ground, but he couldn't quite put it together. I think he found a guy who was actually quite good and was able to cause him some problems. He did win the fight with a unanimous decision, a fight, a result that I agree with. But now he's moving up that little bit more and facing Edson Barbosa. Edson Barbosa holds some of the greatest knockouts in the history of the UFC. I think uh, we can all agree on that. The most famous one being the um, uh, Terry Etim wheel kick all the way back at UFC 142, Aldo versus Mendes. He also had the one over, uh, was it Benil Dariush? He had that, hit that flying knee. It was the flying knee against Dariush. But he's been a bit, a bit of a, an interesting run as of late. You know, up at uh, lightweight, his last two fights there were a loss to Gaethje and then Paul Felder. Moves down to featherweight, which was an interesting move because a lot of people thought he would move up to welterweight because it was quite a big lightweight but it seems like a lot of these guys now have finally managed to sort out their diets and their nutrition and can actually sort of well get down to these lower weight classes um in a healthy manner uh and in that uh his debut lost a split decision to dan Ige. i remember thinking uh, barbosa won that fine Ige was lucky to get away with that but no matter he then moves on and fights Makwan Amerikani, beats him in a, a, a unanimous decision, and then knocks out Shane Burgos in a cracking fight uh, with one of the most terrifying knockouts I've ever seen, where Burgos, his body just failed on him, and he just fell to the ground almost as if he died. I actually did think he had died. Um, and then after that, losing a main event to Giga Chikadze, uh, which now some people might think is a bit exposing the way... Chikadze lost to Calvin Cater, that maybe Chikadze's not that good, and if you've lost to Chikadze, maybe you're not that good. Well, the thing is, is that Edson Barbosa's been around for a while, and we know his game. Strong, heavy kicks to the body, which he can then set up and then move to the head. The best way to fight an Edson Barbosa was shown by uh, Khabib Nurmagomedov. Pressure him, make him go backwards, make sure he can't set his feet and start throwing his kicks, and take him to the ground and wear him out. I mean, that fight was just legendary for the faces Barbosa was pulling of like, oh my god, I can't believe what this guy is doing to me. Like, actually, like I can't breathe. And Bryce Mitchell is a grappler and a wrestler. That is his forte. Now, here is the interesting part. Barbosa was a big lightweight, and now he is a big featherweight. Bryce Mitchell could... In theory, I think maybe even make it down to bantamweight. He's not a big featherweight. Is he going to have the strength and power to control Barbosa? You know what you have to do. You have to just walk forward. You have to cramp him. Make sure he can't set up those kicks. 
Are you willing to go through that? Is Bryce Mitchell willing to go through that? And as an undefeated fighter, most likely he does have that confidence within himself to do that. But for me personally, I think Edson Barbosa is too strong of a... uh, His defensive wrestling is too strong for Bryce Mitchell, that's what I'm going to say. I think Bryce Mitchell's wrestling is not as strong as Khabib Nurmagomedov's, which is no insult at all. But I think he needs to be on that level of wrestling when he is this size. Uh, and so I've gone for an Edson Barbosa by decision. A slightly controversial pick, I believe. Uh, I think uh, Mitchell's quite a strong favourite for this fight. But I'm going to go with Barbosa. I'm getting... I'm, I'm, I'm conjuring up images. I'm conjuring the images. And the image that I'm seeing is Edson Barbosa beating the ever-living hell out of Dan Hooker to the point where basically the towel should have been thrown in and Hooker's body just gave up on him. I'm I'm could potentially see that sort of ass kicking, but I think I'm going to go with a Barbosa decision. I think his defensive wrestling is going to be strong enough to uh, keep this on the feet, and if he's able to do that, and if he does do that, um, I think Mitchell will have some problems uh, there. Yeah, I mean Barbosa's defensive takedown defense is seventy eight percent. You know, and you have to think that that would be a little bit higher if he hadn't faced Khabib Nurmagomedov. So, Edson Barbosa for me by decision. Right, co-main event time. A fight that should have been is obviously RDA versus Rafael Faziv. RDA obviously being Rafael Dos Anjos. I don't know why I'm saying it as if you all know who he is. You may not know who he is. Rafael Dos Anjos, former lightweight champion, moved up to welterweight and now is back down at lightweight. Is let's how how can I put this? Is a badass anytime, anywhere. The real uh, epitome of that. Now I'm going to do the thing that everyone does when they talk about RDA. Everyone does this about RDA. I'm going to run through his resume in the UFC, starting in 2008. Uh, lost to Jeremy Stevens, lost to Tyson Griffin, beat Rob Emerson, beat Carl Bradley, beat Terry Etim, lost to Clay Guida, uh, beat George uh, Soteropoulos, lost to Glayson Tebow, then wins over Kamal Shahrus, uh, Anthony Njokiano, sorry I've messed this up, Mark Bocek, Evan Dunham, Donald Cerrone, lost to Khabib Nurmagomedov, then wins over Jason Hyde, Benson Henderson, Nate Diaz, Anthony Pettis for the title, Beat Donald Cerrone in a title fight, then losses to Eddie Alvarez, Tony Ferguson, then wins over Tarek Safadine, and then moves up to welterweight, beats Neil Magny, beats Robbie Lawler, loses to Colby Covington in the interim title fight, Kamaru Usman lost, Kevin Lee, defeated Kevin Lee, uh, lost to Leon Edwards, Michael Chiesa, uh, lost to him, Paul Felder, a win over him, and that is his last fight. Listen to the names of fighters he has faced, and of course he had the famous Conor McGregor fight, which was cancelled because he broke his foot two weeks out, and they had to draft in a replacement, and that's where Nate Diaz stepped in. Anytime, anywhere, Rafael Dos Anjos. Rafael Fiziv was supposed to be the co-main event, he drops out because he gets COVID, and in steps, Renato Moicano on a two-fight win streak, most recently fighting on the last pay-per-view, Adesanya versus Whitaker. 
where he beat Alexander Hernandez. And now the talk is starting to be, is Moicano a potential dark horse in the lightweight division? And listeners, I am here to tell you that he is not a dark horse for the lightweight division. His two wins in a row, Jai Herbert by rear naked choke and then Alexander Hernandez by rear naked choke. Jai Herbert and Alexander Hernandez. That does not make a dark horse. Listeners, quite obviously, I'm going for Rafael dos Anjos to win this fight. And I'm going by TKO. This is a five-round fight. It's a five-round fight. RDA has time. Moicano, I don't think he's... Has he ever fought in a five-round fight? I don't think he has. Anyway, uh, yeah, I'm going for RDA. Uh, I think his uh, speed, movement, his experience in these fights. That is so important. Listen, I just don't think Moicano is on his level. I, I think that's a fair thing to say. Uh, although, if I'm proven wrong, I'm happy to be wrong with these things. I like it when a guy puts it together late in his career, or later in his career, after having some uh, some stumbles in there. But I'm going with an RDA. I'm going with a TKO. He's been he's fresh. He's ready to go. Moicano. I don't know, man. Like... I, I, this is another issue that I want to talk about is that I just dislike short notice fights I, is it worth having RDA fighting on this card against a guy who's had not even a week to prepare for it I want to see Anato Moicano versus Rafael Dos Anjos at their absolute best and this is not them facing off each other at their absolute best it's just a little bit disappointing and I think you can all agree on that right main event time the fight that we all care about or maybe you don't care about it anymore after that press conference last night, which was awful. A terrible, terrible press conference. Most of the press conferences are terrible. But that one was especially bad. It's just cringe. Like, oh God, just appalling. Absolutely appalling. Right. Friends turn rivals, yada, yada, yada. We all know the story. <laughs> now, I'll give you the proper rundown. Colby Covington, hold on, let me take a, a second sip of my tea. Okay. Colby Covington uh, joins American top team as an amateur fighter and befriends Jorge Masvidal, who at that time is a uh, professional fighter, fighting in strike force. They become best friends. Covington uh, starts fighting in the UFC. They corner each other. They're like brothers, you know. And Covington eventually wins the interim welterweight title, and that's where he claims that their beef started because George Masvidal was jealous. Jorge, or George, I'm going to switch between the two, switch in stance, claims that that was when Colby was supposed to pay his coach, a friend of Masvidal, someone who's coached Masvidal his entire career, and he didn't do it. He didn't do it. And George took that shit personally. And, well, listeners, they've been at each other's throats now for nearly two years. And initially I wasn't hyped for this fight. I mean, it's a bit of a whatever. It's a bit of a fight night card, let's be honest with you. This is not a, a huge... This doesn't feel important to me. You know, these are two guys that have both lost twice to Kamaru Usman. I mean, what is the end result of this fight? Is the winner of this going to face Usman for a third time? 
I mean, I think they could potentially be on that road. But whether they deserve it after beating one of the, the beating each other is is that justifiable enough for a title shot? Most likely not. No. Let's talk about their styles. I mean, there's pretty classic matchup here: wrestler versus striker. Obviously, it's not that simple. Covington is an output fighter. He fights. His fights are based around getting the output out there. And to be honest, he does land a huge amount. Does land a lot, but he also misses a lot. And it seems that he's happy to do that. He's happy to miss as long as he's that then able to put him into a position to then continue striking. Lots of kicks to the body, front kicks to the body. That's what he likes to aim for. And when he lands his takedowns, he lands the takedowns, and he's happy to let you start to get up and whatever else because then he will trip and sweep you back down to that position, starting position, and he uses that to then land some ground and pound, but it's mostly about tiring you out, making you quit, making you give up on yourself. That is what uh, Covington wants to do. He wants to tire you out, which is chaining these wrestling takedowns over and over and over again. That is his game plan. It's just to wear you down until you can't take it anymore. You know, he doesn't quite have the viciousness of his sort of ground apparent, but he doesn't have pillow hands. You know, he's he's got some decent striking. Um, Masvidal, on the other hand, he is a, despite his uh, out-of-the-cage persona, is a cerebral striker. If he lands on you and hurts you, he's not going to come rushing in to try and finish it. He's going to wait, he's going to pick his shots, and he's going to try and finish you off... Um, you know, in a measured way. He's a very adaptable fighter as well. I mean, there was the... I mean, obviously the Askren knockout is, you know, incredibly famous, but I think, you know, there's not really much that you can say about it other than, oh my God, that's amazing. Um, you know, stuff like the Till knockout, the Darren Till knockout, the way he adapted to Till, you know, took those, like, step run-up knockout that he, that he landed on him. And you can see him build up to that of, like, Took one step, landed on him. Took two steps, landed on him. And then he was able to get three and basically run up and hit, land till, until, and swarm him with these shots. Landing with like a left uh, hook that Till was just not braced for because Till left his chin up in the air. Masvidal adapted to that within the fight. And that is his greatest skill, is his, his adaptability with his striking. Because he has that variety, because he has that experience, he can adapt to what is in front of him. Whereas with Covington, we kind of know what his game plan is going to be. Kicks to the bodies, takedowns, ground and pound. Try and just wear you down from that. Take your back. Nice to take the back and then have his back to the cage so that you can't use it to break away. He can then trip you, push you into the open uh, mat space and work on you from there. That's to get this sort of like, sort of a, it's kind of like a cable grip basically around the waist. Trips, throws down to the ground. Does Masvidal have the engine to match Covington? Masvidal's 37 years old. Covington's 34. Masvidal's 37 in welterweight. Oof, that is not a division to be 37 years old. That is a tough division to be that age and to be at the top of the rankings. You know, he's number six in, in the uh, rankings currently, so that puts him in that sort of Gilbert Burns... 
Luke Chimaev, Edwards range. And it's, when I think about those fighters, would Masvidal beat those fighters? Maybe Luke oh, When's Vincente Luke going to fight again? God. Vincente Luke owns. Oh, my God. Luke versus Usman? Give it to me, please. Mm-mm. Anyway. <laughs> yes. So what is it going to be? Is it going to be Masvidal's adaptive striking? Or will it be Covington's cardio and uh, chain takedowns? For me, listeners, I think it's pretty obvious. I think Masvidal's in for a long night. I think Covington will win this fight by decision. And he's going to use this to try and humiliate Masvidal. You know, if we're going to take the character sort of... uh, um, Seriously, he's going to go for that. He just has a lot of control time. I mean, he just controls his fights. Let's go from the... Let's go from the Brian Barberina fight. No, maybe the Max Griffin fight. Here we go, the Max Griffin fight. So control time. So from after taking someone down, how how much percentage of time did he have control over them uh, with the wrestling? Max Griffin fight, 82%. Brian Barberina, 60%. Dunkyung Kim, 67%. Damian Meyer, 11%. But obviously he used the wrestling in that to keep it standing because you don't want to go to the ground with Damian Meyer. Rafael de Sanyos, 50%. Robbie Lawler, 34%. Kamara Usman, 0% because there was no takedown attempts from either fighter in that fight. Tyron Woodley, 56%. And then in the Usman fight, 7%. That doesn't mean that he took him down. That means that he had control of him through takedown attempts. That is an exhausting pace to put on someone. And it's even more exhausting to try and get up from there. The Robbie Lawler one's very interesting. Because Covington was just throwing out shots endlessly, not letting Lawler set, not letting him him get into any sort of rhythm. And that is going to be the interesting point for Masvidal, is that when he's got that coming at him and it's disrupting his rhythm, what new rhythm is he going to create so that he can land on Covington? He will undoubtedly have chances to do that. Whether he will actually do it is a completely different matter. I've gone for Colby Covington by decision. I think we could be looking at a 50-45, even a 50-44 sort of scoring with some of these uh, cards. We're going to get a lot of Covington pressing against the cage and Masvidal pulling faces and blowing kisses, aren't we? And I will hate it. I will absolutely hate it. Right, listeners, thank you so much for listening. Oh, first off, oh sorry, say first off. Uh, Additionally, I'm not going to talk about the Cain Velasquez news. Due to the fact that I feel like giving it as much time as as possible uh, is the best thing to do. Because I don't want to speculate on this sort of thing. I'll wait till Tom's better and then we can talk about it then. Um, And yeah, so I'll just... I don't particularly want to talk about that right now. I think it's just a bit of a sad story that um, doesn't really need to be discussed by me. I don't think there's much I can really add to it by myself. But with Tom, I think me and him could have an interesting conversation about it. Right, let me run through my uh, uh, picks again. I'm looking at some of them, I'm like, that is a crazy thing to pick. Uh, Spivak versus Hardy, I've gone Spivak by TKO, KO. Holland versus Oliveira, Kevin Holland by knockout. Edson Barbosa versus Bryce Mitchell, Barbosa by decision. RDA Moicano, RDA by knockout, TKO. And then Covington versus Masvidal, Colby Covington by decision. Right. Listeners, oh my god, I can't believe I've done this by myself. Just under 28 minutes. 
And let's try and keep it under 28 minutes as, as much as possible. Thank you very much for listening. Tom will be back next week when we will break down this card in excruciating detail. All I can uh, do is say, Tom, I hope you feel better soon. We're not going to go into 28 minutes, but whatever. Tom, I hope you feel better soon. We miss you on Hold On, I'm Talking Brother. And uh, listeners, thank you so much for joining me. As always, always a pleasure and never a chore for me.